Chapter 14 of The Web of the Golden Spider. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Web of the Golden Spider by Frederick Oren Bartlett. Chapter 14 In the Shadow of the Andes. As soon as lights were secured, an examination of the battleground was made. Four men were found, three of them with leg wounds, which did no more than cripple them, and one with a scalp wound made by a grazing bullet, which had knocked him unconscious. There was no surgeon aboard, but one of the mates had a good working knowledge of surgery, and cleaned and dressed the wounds. As soon as it was daylight, Stubbs had a talk with the mutineers. "'Course,' he informed them, "'Course you knows the medicine you gets for mutiny on the high seas. "'Every yeller dog of you can look forward to a prison sentence of twenty years or so. "'As for Splinter, your leader, I can remember the time I had had the pleasure of watching him squirm from a yardarm without any further preliminaries. "'As it is, maybe he'll be allowed to think it over the rest of his life in a cell.' He kept them on a diet of crackers and corned beef, and they never opened their lips in protest. Every day they were brought up morning and afternoon for drill. After this the three men divided the night into the three shifts so that at least one of them was always upon guard. But the men were thoroughly cowed and evidently hoped, by good behavior, to re-establish themselves before port was reached. It was during these night watches that Wilson had many long talks with Stubbs, talks that finally became personal, and which in the end led him, by one of those quick impulses which make in lives for a great deal of good or wrecking harm, to confide in him the secret of the treasure. This he did at first, however, without locating it nearer than within five hundred miles of where we're going and with nothing of his narrative to associate the idol with the priest. Truth to tell, Wilson was disappointed at the cool way in which Stubbs listened. But the latter explained his indifference somewhat when he remarked, removing the clay pipe from his mouth, "'My boy, I'm sort of past my treasure-hunting days. Once I dug up about an acre of sand on one of the islands of the South Seas,' and it sort of took all the enthusiasm, as you might say, for such sport out of me. We didn't get nothing but clam shells, as I remember. Howsoever, I wouldn't get nothing but clam shells out of my gold mine. That's the way my luck runs. Maybe the stuff's there, maybe it ain't. But if I goes, it ain't. He added a moment later, Howsoever, I can see how, in order to find the girl, you has to go. The Dago gent, if he lives, will make for that right off. I've heard a woman with the gift of conjuring, like seventh sons of seventh sons, but I ain't never met with such. I don't know now. I don't know now but what I might consider your proposition if we comes out of this right, and the captain here can spare me. I can't say this minute as how I'd take such stock in it, as you might say. 
but I tell you fair, I'm glad to help a partner and glad to have a try, for the sake of the girl, if nothing more. I don't like to see an older man play no such games as this man. Uh, who'd you say his name is? Sorez. Maybe we can find out more about him down here. Anyhow, we'll talk it over, boy, when we gets through this. In the meanwhile, your secret is safe. Wilson felt better at the thought that there was now someone with whom he could talk freely of the treasure. It became the main topic of conversation during the watch, which he usually sat out with Stubbs after his own. The ship's log of the remainder of this long journey would read as uninterestingly as that of an ocean liner. Day succeeded day, and week followed week, with nothing to disturb the quiet of the trip. A stop was made at Rio for coal, another after rounding the Horn, here they did not have the excitement of even high seas, and another halfway up the west coast. But at these places not a man was allowed to leave the ship, Danbury, Wilson, and Stubbs themselves remaining on board in fear of a possible attempt on the part of the mercenaries to land. As a matter of fact, the latter were thoroughly frightened and did their best by good behavior to offset the effect of their attempt. They were obedient at drills, respectful to all, and as quiet as the crew itself. This was as Stubbs had anticipated, but he on his side gave no sign of relenting in the slightest until the day before they sighted Choco Bay, where the landing was to be made. On the contrary, by dark hints and suggestions he gave them to understand that certain of them, and no one knew who was included in this generality, stood actually in danger of prison sentences. So they outdid one another in the hope of reinstating themselves. At the conclusion of what was to be their last drill, Stubbs called them to attention and sprung the trap to which he had been gradually leading them. He studied them with a face heavy with clouds. "'We are nearing our port,' he drawled. "'And some of you are nearing the jail. "'And a jail in these diggings, my beauties, "'is a thing that ain't no joke, "'cause they shuts you up below ground "'where you has only your natural friends the rats for playmates. "'Rats as big as dogs and hungry as sharks, as you might say. "'Sometimes the captain of these here ports forgets you, "'specially if they's friends of mine. "'If they thinks of it, they brings your sour bread and water and your fights the rats for it. If they forgets, as they has a way of doing, you just stay there until the rats get stronger than you. Then, little by little, you goes. But they buries your bones very particular if they finds any. They takes their time in this country. They takes their time. Several of the men in the rear huddled closer to one another. One or two in the front row wiped the back of their hands over their brows. "'They can't take American citizens,' growled someone. "'No, they can't. Wuss luck for the American citizens. The others stand some show, but American citizens don't stand none, cause they shuts you up without a hearin' and communicates with the council.' 
The consul is drunk, mostly, and devilish hard to find and devilish slow to move. But the rats ain't. Lord, no, the rats ain't. They is wide awake and waitin'. A big man in the rear shouldered his way to the front. "'See here, Captain,' he blurted out. "'I've had a talk with some of the men, and we don't want none of that. "'We've done wrong, maybe, but, God, we don't want that. "'Give us a show. Give us a fightin' show. "'We'll go where you say, and we'll fight hard. "'We weren't used to this sort of thing, and so it comes a bit tough. "'But give us a show, and we'll prove what we can do.' He turned to the band behind him. "'What do you say, fellers? Is this on the level?' "'Sure, sure, sure!' the cry came heartily. Stubbs thought a moment. "'Is this here another little game?' he asked. "'Once you get on land, are you going to turn yeller again?' "'No, no, no!' "'Cause it won't do you no good anyhow. "'Now I tell you, the captain and I had a talk over this, "'and I was for letting you take your medicine "'and picking up another bunch. "'Men is cheap down here. "'But he says, no, if they'll act like white men, give them a show. "'I want to get this princess with Americans, "'and I want to show these fellers what Americans can do behind a rifle.' Our game is to get to Carlina and lick the bunch of guineas that has stolen the young lady's throne. If you want to do that and do it hard and square, well, he's for letting this other thing drop. Fight and you gets cash enough to keep drunk for a year. Squeal and you get shot in the back without any more talk. There's a square offer. Do you take it like men? "'Sure, give us a show.' "'Then three cheers for your captain, Captain Danbury.' This time the cheers were given with a will, and the boat rang with the noise. "'Now then, lay down and take your orders, and I wish you luck.' Three cheers for Captain Stubbs,' shouted someone. And as Stubbs bashfully beat a hasty retreat, the cheers rang lustily in his ears. But he reported to Danbury with his face beaming. Now, he said, you've got some men worth something. They'll be fighting for themselves, fighting to keep out of jail. Mutiny has its uses. The next morning the anchor clanked through blue waters into golden sand and the throbbing engine stopped. The land about Choco Bay is a pleasant land. It is surpassed only by the plains along the upper Orinoco, where villages cluster in the bosom of the Andes in a season of never-changing autumn. Nearer the coast, the climate is more fitful and more drowsy. One wonders how history would have been changed had the early Puritans chanced upon such rich soil for their momentous conquering instead of the rock-ribbed, barren coast of New England. The same energy, the same dauntless spirit, the same stubborn clinging to where the foot first fell, if expended here, would have gained for them and their progeny a country as near the Garden of Eden as any on earth. 
but perhaps the balmy breezes, the warming sun, the coaxing sensualism of nature herself would have wheedled them away from their stern principles and turned them into a nation of dreamers. If so, what dreamers we should have had! We might have had a dozen more Keatses, perhaps another Shakespeare. For this is a poet's land, where things are only half real. The birds sing about Choco Bay. Rippling through the blue waters after dark, the yacht glided in as close to the shore as possible. The morning sun revealed a golden semicircle of sand rimming the turquoise waters of the bay. Across the blue sky above, seagulls skimmed and darted and circled, so clear the waters beneath that the clean bottom showed like a floor of burnished gold. The harbor proper lay ten miles beyond, where a similar inlet with deeper soundings was protected from the open inrush of the sea by the promontory forming one tip of this broader crescent. Far, very far in the distance, the lofty Andes raised their snowy crests, monarchs which, Jove-like, stood with their heads among the clouds. So they had stood while kings were born, fought their petty fights, died, and gave place to others. So they stood while men contended for their different gods. So they stood while men loved and followed their loves into other spheres. It was these same summits upon which Wilson now looked which had greeted Quesada, and these same summits at which Quesada had shaken his palsied fist. It was these same summits which but a short while before must have greeted Joe. It was possible that at their very base he might find her again, and with her a treasure which should make her a queen before men. It made them seem very intimate to him. End of chapter 14 Recording by Roger Moline